may or may not know this, but I have not preached in well over a month now, so uh, buckle up. Uh, I got a lot of things to say. No, I'm just <laughs> it, um, it has been a blessing. Uh, my dad has filled in tremendously for me um, while we were away. Uh, while I was um, not preaching, you know, in celebration of new babies. So we are um, grateful for that. Uh, baby is good. Amen. Baby is doing well. Christy is doing well. So we've all adjusted. I think this baby is going to get more love than any baby in history because all the kids are obsessed with her. So we're just grateful for that. We're particularly excited, I am, to be able to share this word with you. So we have a theme this year that we're focusing on, and it's called Grow. Our theme this year is grow, and it's all about growing spiritually. It's all about growing in our knowledge of Christ. It's about growing in grace. All of the things that God has called us to, it's about growing in those things. And so as we prepare to do this, one of the things that I've realized, especially working at a school and working with kids, is it's hard to grow when we're not really paying attention, right? (laughs) So as we just Um, are in the sanctuary just be reminded that we are in the sanctuary and that we want to be attentive we want to not be distracted not be on our phones but really hear what the word of God is saying to us today and so as our elders help decide on that theme grow it is the reality that as Christians it is our desire to grow we want to grow we hope to grow But the question is, is how do I measure growth right in my life? After all, this is not like working a business where there are these quantitative benchmarks that I can say, oh, once I hit this, this is definable saying that I'm growing. I mean, after all, when you work at a car dealership, you test how you do based on how many cars you sell. You know you're growing in profits if you sell a certain amount of cars or if you work at a burger joint. You know, if I sell more burgers, then that is telling me that my business is growing. But there isn't really a quantitative measurement, right, that we can look at as Christians and say, there, there's the thing that shows and defines my growth as a believer. After all, I think if I walked up to each one of you individually and asked you, are you growing as a Christian Probably the last thing I would want to hear is how many times you read your Bible. I wouldn't care about how often you attend church, and I definitely wouldn't care how much money you give in church. But then I also wouldn't want you to be super spiritual either. Well, Brandon, I'm growing in all the heavenly realms, and you can't really see all the depth of the growth that I'm going through. I wouldn't want you to be so deep either. Now, I don't... I don't want to confuse you. No, we can't just look at minute things and think, well, I read my Bible, I go to church, I give, therefore I must be growing. But we also can't say that growth is this thing, this metaphysical thing that happens and no one is aware of it. So how do we know that we are growing as Christians? I think first we have to come to the realization that whatever we thought growth was is probably much more deeper than that. It probably goes a little bit further than what we think it goes and where we think it goes. And it probably happens in ways that we don't understand. So where do we begin? I think we need to begin with a bit of a personal assessment. Am I growing? And now let's be real with ourselves. 
The questions are, am I, Brandon, more patient, more loving, more forgiving, more self-controlled, more peaceful, more joyful, more knowledgeable of God than I was six months ago, than I was a year ago, than I was five years ago. In this sermon, I want us to go on a journey, right? And I want us to see what God wants us to do in order to grow, but I also want to see what stops us from growing and what we need to do to make sure that we grow. And so to do this, we're going to begin today in 1 Peter. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin today in the very first verse of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at the first verse. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, God. We thank you for the privilege to be before you in the house of the Lord, God. Lord, as these words are spoken today, I pray that your word will reign true, God, that not only will we see in our lives the areas that we need to grow, but we can even identify the things in our lives that will potentially hinder us from growing. So, God, my prayer is as we leave today that we will feel like Christians who are prepared to do what we need to do in order to grow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the more I read the Bible, and I really do mean this, y'all, this is not just like cliche. The more I read the Bible, the more I fall in love with the way that the Bible is written. Inasmuch as we know that the Bible is the breathed out word of God, we must also see it for its literary beauty. See, Peter's singular point here is not just that Christians should be growing. That's that's not the only point. But it is also that Christians should be growing into something as well. I want you to look at the text and see what Peter is doing here. On the one hand, y'all, he's telling Christians here that they should be growing into something, but he's also presenting growth as a moral issue. And that's interesting. That's an interesting thing that he's doing there. How do we know that he's making this a moral issue? Well, look at how he's pairing the text. He starts by saying, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, we have seen this language, but we've also seen Paul use this language. But this isn't just a metaphor, but it's a reminder to the new life in Christ that we have been called to as believers. We have been called to put sin away. And if you are a Christian, you are not absolved from this. Now, I want you to understand that this is not a challenge to unbelievers. He is not instructing unbelievers here to put away sin, because if unbelievers could put sin away, then there would be no need for Christ. But he is admonishing those of us who have had your sins put away, continue to put your sins away. 
When you came into saving faith, the old man, that is the old way that you lived, was put off. It was taken off. And so the wording here is like the one who takes off a garment. He is saying that if through Jesus the old man has been put away, then we should actively and proactively be putting off sin as well in our lives. But any of us in this room who is a Christian knows how that feels as if it goes against the current of our nature. I'm going to tell you, sin is way easier than putting it off. Even for those of us who are Christians, we would have to admit that coming to church constantly often feels like a chore. Praying consistently often feels like a chore. Studying the Bible, fellowship with other believers, discipling one another, evangelism, the things that lead to growth in the life of the Christian and the church often feel like a burden. Now, I could cheapen this sermon, make it real short and tell you, see, that there, that's the reason why Christians don't grow, because they don't want to do anything to grow. But that, that's short-sighted. Because growing is hard. Of course growing is hard. But just because growth is hard doesn't mean that we elect not to grow as a result. But the question that we need to answer, why is growth so hard? Why isn't growing in Christ more natural to us? Why doesn't it feel more natural to us? Why is it such a challenge for us? Well, as most things do, it goes all the way back to the garden. In Genesis 1, 11, this may be one of these things we miss. I'm going to read it. Genesis 1, 11, it says this. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening. And there was morning the third day. Now, I want you to notice something here. And I tell you, like I said, the more I read this book, the more I marvel at God's wisdom. And I want you to see it, too. I want you to look here. This is one of those things that we have probably missed in creation that has been staring us in the face. The Bible here says that all vegetation, all plants, all fruit, all grew on its own. There was no one to plant. There was no one to water. There was no one to work the ground. It grew according to God's perpetual created order. Or to say it simply, it grew because God made it grow. There was no resistance and therefore there was no work needed done to make it grow. And so when Adam is assigned a job prior to the fall, Adam's job was only to gather what was growing. Now, this is significant because we learned that in God's created order, prior to sin, growth was natural. 
Growth happened and it bore the glory of God because when every one of those plants and fruits grew, it was doing exactly what God had called it to do. Therefore, glorifying God just as the stars in heaven glorify him just by being stars in heaven. But then something happened. Something would permanently halt that growth. Sin. Sin happened and the curse happened. And I want to look at the result of that in Genesis 3 and 17. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now, I want you all to look at this, y'all. In chapter one, the Bible says that everything grew on its own. But then in chapter three, as a result of the fall, God curses Adam and Eve. In that curse, he curses the ground so that it would not grow on its own any longer, but that it now requires work from man. What was natural, that being growth, has now become unnatural. But it isn't just that. The Bible also says that the natural order of marriage, this beautiful harmony that Adam and Eve would have normally walked in, that harmony has now become unnatural. And then he says, your wife's desire is going to be to rule over you, but you must rule over her. That did not happen until sin entered. As it is with vegetation, so it is with mankind. That curse began with Adam and Eve being thrown out of the garden and sentenced to death. And that which was natural became unnatural. And that which was unnatural became natural. They were never intended to die. We always say in our hopes to grip death, well, everybody's got to die. It's just natural. But there was a day when that which is natural was unnatural. The growth that would would have so naturally and beautifully come to us as we were enlightened in the presence of God is now as unnatural as a human breathing water. Growing as a Christian goes so against the current of our nature. So why would Peter use an analogy like this? Why would he use something so natural like a child who needs milk from their mother to describe something that is unnatural in the believer? And look what he says. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Is Peter messing with us? Does he know something we don't know? I mean, after all, if anybody should know how hard growth is, 
If anybody should know how unnatural it is, it should be Peter. I mean, this is the Peter that cut off a man's ear. This is the Peter who denied Jesus. No one knows more than he does how hard it is to grow. But it also means that he knows how much work it takes to grow. But he takes something so unnatural and he compares it to something so natural and beautiful as a child breastfeeding. Now, as you know, we are right in the thick of this in my home right now. Baby Winter is obviously a newborn and at this very moment she is probably at home breastfeeding. (laughs) You know, it's this curious thing, having done this as many times as we have done it now. When the nurses come in minutes after the baby is born, they have one major concern. Anybody else who's been through this knows. Is the baby breastfeeding? That's what they want to know. Is the baby latching? I remember the first time around, I was like, baby, why? Baby's breastfeeding. Like, that's natural. It's normal for a baby to latch. It's a rookie. I didn't know better. I was like, a baby is a baby. Breastfeeding is instinctual. They know to breastfeed. You've had nine months of practice, baby. Come on, it's game time now. Like, you know what you need to do. But what I've learned is that not only do babies not, but people don't always do what's natural for them to do. I learned that babies need to eat. Babies come out knowing how to eat, but this is interesting. Babies can't feed themselves. So it's not that they can't eat. It's not that they don't know how to eat. The problem is is that the baby cannot feed itself. Listen, I told you that Peter is writing this marvelously, and my struggle here is to even be able to, to get all of this to you without rushing to the end. But you cannot convince me that a part of the curse that disseminates to all of humanity is that sometimes babies don't do what they should naturally be able to do, which is eat. So on one hand, you have babies who don't do what they instinctively should do, but every single baby that will eat has to have some help. They can't do it on their own. And when Peter tells us to long for the pure and spiritual milk like newborn infants on one hand, he is saying that if a baby does not eat, it will die. Now, we may not understand the severity of this coming from Peter's time, because if a mother doesn't produce the right amount of breast milk or if the baby doesn't latch, we have all sorts of alternatives. We've got formula. We've got all these different things. But in their day, they didn't have formula, right? And so if a baby went to breastfeed, but the mother was unable to produce milk, they then had to hire what is known as a wet nurse. And the people in that day believed that the spirituality of the mother affected the healthiness of the milk. And so when he's saying long for pure spiritual milk, it was a long process. If you couldn't produce milk, finding the right person who could because you didn't want that person's bad spirit to give contaminated milk to the baby. 
Now maybe we understand when he tells us long for the pure spiritual milk in the same way his admonition to us is to make sure that the milk that we are drinking is clean. Because the reality is we all in here drinking something. I remember back in the day, you know, my family was kind of old school. Milk didn't get thrown away. Milk became buttermilk. And I can't tell you how many times I opened the refrigerator thinking I was drinking some good milk, only to my surprise to find chunks in the milk. I realized that while the milk at one point may have been nutritious to me, now it was spoiled. And what I could have drank from before, I no longer can drink from. In the same way, as we are Christians, we have to ensure that as we drink, that the milk that we are drinking is clean and is pure. That is not stained, it's not contaminated, it's not polluted with things that shouldn't even be in milk. So the evidence, y'all, that you are drinking good milk is the same for the baby. How do I know that the baby is getting good milk? Because the baby is growing. How do you know if you are getting good milk? You need to be growing as a Christian. A baby desires this sustenance, but the baby also, but he is also saying here that the baby cannot eat alone. The beauty here is that if there is milk to be had, then it is coming from the breast of our father God who has given us new life. I've seen every one of our children when still infants whine, cry, even suckle for milk, but it always takes their mother to draw them into her breast. It is indeed this beautiful picture that what God has promised to us, y'all, If you draw near to me, which is long for the pure spiritual milk, then I will draw near to you. He will pull us into his bosom. And by that nourishment, we will grow. But you see, how do I know that this isn't just talking about us growing independently? Because if growth doesn't happen independent of assistance, Neither does the result of growth either. We need help to grow because we are growing together with those around us into something. And that is what Peter is alluding to here. Look at verse four. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for who for you who believe But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. 
They stumbled because they disobeyed the word and they were destined to. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look at the beauty of the text here. Peter says that once we have grown up, we are being built up. We are growing together as a spiritual house. I've been reading this book lately by J. Richard Middleton called A New Heaven and a New Earth. And he's talking about the broader scope of salvation and eternity. And the one thing that he pointed out recently is that we cannot only limit salvation to that thing that we've been saved from. But it also must be the thing that he is cultivating us to become. Understanding that should help us all not just be saved from our sins, but make a change in how being saved from those sins affects the way that we live. When Paul writes about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, I think we've made a mistake. I made a mistake. Some of y'all probably made a mistake when reading it like I did for the longest time. I believe that the fruit is something growing in us. But it is really something that we are growing into. We are becoming that beautiful fruit of the spirit that produces this prism of non attributes of which guarantees that we belong to God. You cannot be a Christian and say, I got eight fruit. And I'm missing one is one fruit. And you are it. It is the evidence of the spirit that lives in you, which is your guarantee for eternity. And if you are not growing in that, what are you growing into? That's the question. What are you becoming if you're not becoming that? He says, what kind of people are we becoming? We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation so that we in becoming priests can communicate how beautifully and marvelously we have been saved by God. My question. Are you growing? If so. Is it because you have been given this pure milk from the father or are you growing into something else? Babies grow. But so do tumors. Not all growth is right. Not all growth is good. So maybe it is not enough to ask, are you growing? Maybe the better question is, what are you becoming as you grow? 
When Peter says that this is pure spiritual milk, he isn't saying that this is some invisible element that we cannot grow into. But he is saying that this kind of nourishment won't won't be found in the world. So how do we get it? Its effects are real. They are tangible. This is not when he talks about us being built into a spiritual house. This is not a metaphorical building that we are being built into. But this is that we are being built into the real church of Christ. I want to make this final point to you before we finish today, and I hope it resonates. Back in the Middle Ages, they weren't like we are today. Okay, in several ways. Today, everybody is concerned about how small they can get their waist. But in the Middle Ages, they actually were concerned about how big they could get their waist. Now, the reason is because if you know anything about that time is food was not easy to come by. And so the sign that you didn't have a lot of money was that you didn't eat that much. And so you were skinny. And so the sign of wealth for the, the monarchy and the political leaders is that, I mean, quite frankly, you were just fat. And you want to be fat. That's why if you look at pictures of these people in the Middle Ages, they always look big. Now, some of them were big. Some of them made themselves look even bigger because that was a sign that they were wealthy. But it was also a sign that they were healthy. In that time, nobody wanted to be skinny. Now, some of them, you know, did what they needed to do in order to look like that. But when I heard this, it made me think, why in the Bible, when God desires a sacrifice, there is almost always a reference to the fattened sacrifice? Almost always a reference to it. The fattened calf, the fattened lamb, bring to me the fattest that you have. But then there are even specific things that you do with the fat as well. And I realized a fattened sacrifice was a good, healthy, well-fed sacrifice. Now, what does the Bible tell us in Romans 12? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. But then it says one that is holy and one that is acceptable. Well, what kind of sacrifice would we be if we didn't have a little meat on us? I think this is what in the old King James Version, when you read in Psalms, it talks about being fat and flourishing. God forbid that the story of our lives is that we are offered as this sacrifice of God, emaciated with no meat on our bones. Having lived decades, years and years, having gone to church, having given money, having gone to Bible studies and still malnourished. We want to present our bodies as living sacrifices, fattened sacrifices. Spiritually healthy and fully grown. None of us wants to be the person in here who is spiritually emaciated. We want to be a full, 
big sacrifice offered to God. Are you growing? If you are growing in here, what are you becoming? Are you growing in your independence and your individuality? Are you growing in a way that separates you from other members of the body? Or as you grow, do you realize your inefficiencies and your dependency on God and God's people? Y'all, nobody grows by themselves. We need each other to grow. A lot of people think, oh, well, he says that we need to grow only by the word. The word is one way that we grow. But we need to grow through fellowship. We grow through suffering. We even can grow through prosperity. But we grow because we are active members of a believing body of Christ who hold us accountable, who encourage us, who even challenge us. But it is that we make the work and we put in the effort to actually grow, working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Let's pray. Lord, it is challenging to grow. God, in the reality is, is that even at times, growing comes with growing pains. It is not always as beautiful as it appears. But God, the only things that aren't growing are dead. Lord, help us be your living sacrifices. Ones who are living a life having put away all of the sin and being constantly in a position of putting away sin and putting you on. Laying aside those things that would hinder us from growing. Lord, it is my prayer that every believer in this room can identify the blind spots that we all have. God, there are all thing, we all have things that are stopping us or hindering us from growing, and we need your help, but we also need the help of the believers around us to see that. God, not only do I pray that we would drink the pure spiritual milk, but God, help us crave it too. Help us desire it as well. Help us long for you, God. Help us know that if we desire that pure spiritual milk that will lead to growth, that you will bring us into your bosom and you will love us, you will care for us, and you will feed us. Lord, I realize that there may be people even who are in the room today who may feel like, well, I'm not growing because I don't even know who this Savior is. But God, I pray that this would be the day that through your sovereign grace that you would resist their wills and in your divine providence that you would save them. That they would see the newness of life and the beauty of the freedom that we sang about today to be able to live in the glory of God. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you've spoken today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.